Welcome to the On the Green Podcast, where we'll give you the latest news and events from the world of golf and spotlight golf courses from around Northeast Florida and the First Coast. We'll take you inside the ropes with interviews, strategies for playing the courses, and get a tip from the head professional. Each show will also feature an interview with a prominent golf insider. They'll share firsthand stories and insights you won't hear anywhere else. Now, here's your host of On the Green, Tim Eiley. Welcome to a special edition of On the Green Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Eiley. Today, we're going to be talking with Andy Levinson. He is the Senior Vice President of Tournament Administration at the PGA Tour and has been responsible for putting the protocols together for drug testing on the PGA Tour, helping navigate the legalization of gambling on PGA Tour events, and most recently, putting COVID-19 protocols in place that led to the PGA Tour being able to restart their season back in June. Andy, welcome to On the Green Podcast. Thanks, Tim. Always good to talk with you. As I just mentioned, you have been at the forefront of some major policy decisions at the tour. Yeah. Um, so we've we've been involved in a couple of significant policy changes uh, since I've been at the tour. Uh, as you mentioned, anti-doping uh, was something that we felt uh, back in in the the mid 2000s was something that we as a sport needed to implement. Um, you know, there was a lot going on in the sports world with uh, in Major League Baseball um, and the Balco scandal and that type of thing. And also at the time we were considering uh, applying to become an Olympic sport, and so having an anti-doping program was critical. Um, sports betting is just something that has evolved over time uh, in terms of interest in golf in, uh, among sports bettors. Most of the activity was taking place internationally, but uh, there were a lot of illegal offshore bookmakers that were that were doing quite a lot of business in North America. So we started putting a lot of focus on that and implementing new policies around that. And then, of course, um, you know, some significant a, a significant decision by the Supreme Court to allow states to decide whether or not to legalize sports betting, and so that has become you know quite uh, an area of emphasis for us right, as right. an organization. And then, of course, now with uh, with the environment we're living in today, we had to we had to develop really comprehensive health and safety program, and we are right in the thick of that right now. Absolutely. So give the listener a little bit of a synopsis of your career and how you came to be part of the team that is really making these landmark decisions. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I I came to the PGA Tour in 2004 with background in, in public relations and advertising and spent my first five years at the tour working with our corporate sponsors uh, in both a, a sales capacity and a, and a partner management capacity. And, um, and then in, in, when we began to develop an anti-doping program in late 2008, um, our general counsel at the time came to me and, and said, we have to do this program, and uh, we've, we've uh, already begun the process, and we'd like you to oversee it. And, you know, obviously my first question was why, 
<laughs> not many people in this world have anti-doping experience. Um, but I also saw it as a great opportunity to do something else, uh, to see another side of, of, of our business. And, uh, and so I, I took that, uh, that challenge and, uh, did that exclusively while we got the program off the ground for about a year, year and a half. And I was part of the legal department at that time. And, uh, and then from there, uh, we sort of transitioned the anti-doping program into our competitions area, and uh, and I've been a part of that group now since 2011. And it, and um, as time has gone on, I've just continued to take uh, ownership over all of our policies and regulations, whether that be the policies that we've talked about or. Uh, our eligibility across all of our six tours and so on. Uh, and so I've been with the, with the competitions area and overseeing that department, uh, since, since 2011. Well, that's, that's, that's a pretty meteoric rise there through the ranks of PGA tour. And I know having worked with you for many years that, uh, you do a fantastic job. Uh, that's for sure. Thanks. Well, let's talk uh, specifically today about the PGA Tour and really how the Tour came to the decision to restart uh, the season back in June. I think it's it's timely. When did you all first get wind that COVID-19 might be an issue down the road? Well, you know, we all saw it, uh, what was happening in Asia. Um, and, of course, there was a, there was a re- very realistic fear that that would spread uh, to other countries. And, uh, you know, I don't think that even in, in early February, um, there was a significant concern here in the United States that it would, would spread to the extent that it has. Um, so it was really kind of in, in, in mid to late February where we saw it developing in certain states, uh, Washington, Mm -hmm. California, um, and and that obviously you know had us all uh, quite concerned. Sure. Um, you know we're a, we're a, we're a traveling circus on the PGA Tour, and so um, <laughs> it's not like it's not like we just live in this bubble here in Florida, right? Um, exactly. And so we were we were we were we were beginning to get concerned, and then of course you saw the spread across the country. You started seeing cases. Uh, here in Florida, and um, and it was unfortunately the week of the Players Championship um, where we ultimately had to make the decision to uh, shut the season down, and uh, it was a very difficult decision. Uh, you know that was a it was um, it's a it's a huge event. Um, it was going extremely well. Um, that week, and um, and it was just the, the, the number of cases uh, were increasing so rapidly uh, that, you know, we brought a lot of people together. We brought medical advisors together. Um, the guidance coming from the CDC was still not uh, very specific as it related to um, large gatherings of people in an outdoor environment. Um, but ultimately, we made, as I said, the right decision to to pause, and uh, and then you know refocus. 
Absolutely. And, you know, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think that it was definitely the correct decision back then. And I know that decisions like this, um, when you're trying to keep, you know, everybody associated with the tournament safe, like you said, it requires a lot of research and a lot of collaboration with a lot of people. It does. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's had us, you know, reach out to, to new, new consultants, people we hadn't worked with in the past and, and try and find subject matter experts, um, you know, just on infectious diseases in general, because, uh, you know, broad knowledge about this virus, even at that time in March was, was limited. Right. Um, so, um, we have continued to build up a roster of, of, uh, consultants and experts and, um, you know, it's, it's, that certainly helped us uh, to get to the point where we are today. So what, what ultimately led to the decision to restart the week of June 6th at the Charles Schwab Challenge, I guess, as opposed to a little bit earlier or a little bit later? Yeah, well, if you, if you think back to how things were going, and, you know, May, May seems like a long time ago for many of us, um, but the, aside from certain pockets of the country, um, Things were getting a little bit better. You know, cases were trending down um, and so forth. So um, really from from the moment we stopped playing, we had an eye on when can we restart, uh, talking to medical advisors and talking to um, local health departments in the tournament cities that we're playing in. Um, and trying to get an understanding of how, how things are going on the ground in each of those cities. Um, and then focusing on the tournaments that we lost and then looking at the rest of the, the rest of the year and saying, how can we reconfigure our schedule to, um, still have a viable FedEx Cup season and, uh, try to replay some of the events that were missed. Uh, and of course, you know, trying to accommodate the major championships as well. Sure. And so there was a great deal of work that went into the uh, reconfiguration of the schedule. Um, as you know, that's always a complicated puzzle um, every year. And, uh, and so there was a tremendous amount of focus on that, at picking the right date, um, and, you know, we knew we were going to be one of the first to come out, uh, but we wouldn't have done so if we really didn't meet a few very strict criteria. And one was, uh, first and foremost, can we create a safe environment for uh, everyone involved? Right. And then, two, can we do it in a manner that doesn't uh, take away any critical resources in the local communities in which we are playing? And, um, and so we felt like, uh, with the, with the schedule that we had, um, and the support of the local communities, uh, the local health departments, the mayors, all the way up to the governor's offices, um, with all of that support, we felt like we could proceed that week of June 8th, um, both in uh, Fort Worth at Colonial and here in Jacksonville on the Corn Ferry Tour. Okay, so that, that so you you know you put the testing protocols in place for 
that first event, and these were put in place again for everyone who was going to be on site, not just the players and caddies. Our program is really a layered approach, and testing is one element of that. Um, but the foundation of our program is really social distancing, which is our best defense against this virus. And we're really fortunate as a sport to play outdoors across hundreds of acres where we can operate a PGA Tour event uh, in a socially distant manner at all times. So that's really first and foremost. And then we've layered on a number of different screening elements. So every single person that comes on site uh, has their temperature taken. And I was also asked uh, a series of questions about the symptoms related to COVID-19, any interpersonal associations, uh, and so forth. Um, and then for players, caddies, and anybody who has to work in close proximity to those groups, we do have a testing program. Uh, it started actually a couple of weeks prior to our return, uh, the week of June 8th. Um, with at-home tests, so we sent uh, test kits uh, to all of the, the people in our testing group, um, and uh, people took those tests prior to uh, their first tournament back. And okay. and that okay. that has two purposes. Uh, one is so that we can obviously weed out any issues right from the onset, and two, it helps an individual know that they're not going to fly to a tournament city and potentially test positive and then be required to isolate in a city far away from home. So that was, that's, that was the first element. And then the second element was, uh, you know, we plan to test uh, everybody in that, in that testing group, which we call our bubble. Uh, right. We plan to test them um, uh, as soon as they come into the tournament city. And that, that has its own challenges, and that we, we had some really big challenges to overcome in the planning of this because, uh, as, as has been widely publicized across the country, result times for these COVID-19 tests, uh, and, and we're talking about a very specific test, the PCR test, which is the gold standard and the one that we're using out on the PGA Tour, the result times around the country were anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. And, and gosh, now in some places, it's even longer than that. And given the fact that we're not in a tournament city for very long, that, that was a problem. We needed, okay. we needed our athletes to be able to get tested and then be able to get to the course and prepare for competition in a manner that they're accustomed to. Um, and so result times was one big hurdle. And then the other big hurdle, which I mentioned earlier, was, was the, our concern about using valuable resources in the communities in which we were playing. Mm -hmm. So during our planning process, um, we were actually contacted by one of the title sponsors on uh, PGA Tour Champions. And that company is called Sanford Health, one of the largest healthcare providers in the United States uh, based out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And Sanford said, we have these trucks that we have converted into laboratories. Oh, wow. And, um, 
And that, uh, that was something that was really intriguing to us. Um, and, um, and so we, we started digging into it a little bit. These were trucks that they had had for quite a while. They were originally built as mobile clinics, um, and they converted them into laboratories. And they had actually been doing COVID-19 testing at some of the poultry and meat packing plants where they were, they were where, uh, that had been experiencing uh, some pretty significant spread issues early on in the, in the virus um, period. So uh, what we decided to do was to, to take these trucks out on the road with us, and they've been following us from city to city, and, and we bring everything with us. We have the laboratory. We have the lab techs. We have all the supplies. Uh, so we're not utilizing local resources. And our result times have been really fast. We're getting our results back in one to three hours, which enables our athletes to, to get to the course and prepare in a manner they're accustomed to. So um, that has worked really well. Uh, and, you know, we're in week seven now. Um, and uh, we have all of these, you know, different screening measures in place. And uh, we have online tools that report results. Uh, we have daily questionnaires that are issued to our players and caddies through an app-based program. Uh, so there's a lot of elements to it, uh, but putting it all together, um, we have a pretty comprehensive program. And so far, it's, it's allowed us to sustain our return. Well, it's been obviously very effective because you've had very few, you know, cases out there so far. Uh, I know the first positive case uh, on the PGA Tour happened in Hilton Head at the RBC Heritage when Nick Watney tested positive. Uh, so just take the listeners, you know, kind of on a journey of what happened uh, after that positive test. Well, we had, you know, b- before before any positive case cases occurred, we had protocols in place for exactly how to handle those. Um, and they, 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 they pop up in different ways. Um, you know, we actually had some positive uh, that happened on our pre uh, return at home testing. Um, and so we were able to handle those a little, in one manner because those people were already at home and you could give them proper instruction on how to isolate and so forth. Um, but then we had processes in place in the event that somebody uh, were to test positive on site. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, on the PGA tour that did happen for the first time in Hilton head in that case, uh, we were really fortunate to have a player who uh, raised his hand and said, you know what, I don't feel quite well, uh, just right. And, um, and so part of our protocol was for, for if someone was in that situation uh, to, to notify us, uh, we have an on-site physician that would consult with the player. Um, and if, if the physician felt it appropriate, we would do a, do a test uh, right then and there. And that's, that's what happened. Uh, we were able to then implement our contact tracing uh, processes and identify any people who might have been at risk through that. Unfortunately, um, uh, we didn't have anybody subsequently test positive uh, from that incident or any of the issues that we've had uh, so far. So we've really been able to, because we have these protocols in place uh, and we're able to separate individuals and get them to isolation quickly, 
we haven't had any issues of of spread at our events. Everything has been isolated and contained. Okay. So um, can you can you clarify just you know what it takes if once a player tests positive or caddy tests positive, you know what what is the what's the next steps to get them back onto the golf course? How does that happen? Yeah. So we follow the, the CDC's return to work guidelines um, very specifically on that issue. And those have changed quite a bit over the last couple of months, and they've changed actually quite a bit in the last few weeks. Um, so the first thing you look at when you have a positive test is does the person have symptoms? Uh, and we treat symptomatic positives a little bit differently than we treat asymptomatic positives. Um, and what we're learning as we go through this is that there are a lot of people in this country um, who have this virus and have no idea that they do because they are completely asymptomatic. There's a large percentage uh, of people out there that, uh, that have probably had this and never knew it. And, and so asymptomatic positives uh, have essentially two pathways to returning to competition. One is what's called a test-based strategy. And so if they test positive, they can wait 24 hours and take another test. If that test is negative, then they wait 24 hours more and take another test. And if that test is negative, then they are allowed to return to competition. So essentially two negative tests all spread a minimum of 24 hours apart is the test-based strategy. Uh, we don't see that happen a lot, but it is possible. And then the other option uh, for uh, an asymptomatic positive is, is 10 days of isolation. So um, our medical advisors and the CDC believe that the lifespan of the virus is seven to 10 days with the point by 10 days uh, all of the virus is dead. And so, um, yeah, in asymptomatic people, certainly, and, and very likely in, in symptomatic people whose symptoms have resolved. Right. So after a period of 10 days, uh, those people are allowed to return to competition uh, without, uh, you know, subsequent testing necessary. For symptomatic positives, it is a required 10 days of isolation. And as long as they don't have any fever uh, within 24 hours of that final day, that 10th day, mm -hmm. uh, then they are allowed to return as well. So okay. it's really, a, it's really, you're really looking at, unless, unless you're asymptomatic and you can test your way out of it, you're looking at a 10 day isolation period. 10 day isolation. Well, it sounds, it sounds like you've got to be very nimble, um, on it site is. for sure. I mean, just to navigate mm -hmm. all this. And like you said, things are, things are changing, you know, almost on a daily basis. Um, so do you, you think that the, you know, the protocols on the PGA tour will change at all? you know, prior to the end of this year? Uh, well, we're, we're in week seven and we've made, uh, it, we've made changes in four of those weeks. Okay. So <laughs> I do suspect, 
I do suspect that that it will continue to evolve as as the CDC and and our medical advisors evolve their uh, positions on on returns to competition. Um, the CDC actually just changed some of their guidance um, on Friday evening, and uh, and that was you know that was probably the third week in a row that they had changed their guidance. So. Uh, we're going to evolve as as science evolves and and try to have the best safest program uh, possible. Well, you know, as as we come to the end of the 2020 season, of course, we go right into the 2020 2021 season, and some of the early events are, are overseas in Korea, Japan, China. So, what is the current status of those events that are going to start the uh, the new season? Yeah, you know, we're hopeful that things will get better. Um, we've seen a lot of ebbs and flows in this uh, in this period since March, um, and you know, we're we're still hopeful that that uh, we'll be able to play uh, our tournaments that are that are overseas, um, and working very closely with the health departments in those countries. Uh, and local leaders uh, in the cities in which we're playing. And, you know, we've just got to remain optimistic. If not, um, you know, we've, we've shown that we can adapt and um, make changes to our schedule, and, and we'll do so if necessary. But, you know, we sure would like to play uh, those tournaments that's scheduled. Absolutely. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, the, the impact that the restart has had on tournaments, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, with without the ability to have spectators and, you know, pro-ams and corporate hospitality, you know, that that's basically what finances a tournament. Yeah, well, there's no question that um, not having spectators, not having pro-ams, where hospitality is having a significant impact on our host organizations um, and the the ability for our tournaments to generate revenue. Uh, the good thing is is that we have fantastic title sponsors who are committed to those tournaments and to the charities that they support. And so we've looked at creative ways in delivering value to both the title sponsor, but also the local sponsors, whether that's through uh, some virtual activities with our players or a new concept that's been uh, on Wednesdays in recent weeks, and that is these uh, two-on-two challenges mm-hmm. uh, on a practice day that um, that have been raising really significant amounts uh, for those charities uh, with each of those tournaments. So um, it's, it's it's also been just fun to watch, right? Uh, to see our players uh, interacting with one another, mic'd up, um, you know, having having some fun in a practice round, much in the same way that they actually normally practice. But now we're getting an inside look at it. Um, and it's it's also, you know, all all to support great causes. So uh, you know, we're trying to come up with some creative ways to to uh, lessen the impact on on our tournaments and on the charities they support. But without question, this is this is difficult. It's not ideal. We would love to have our fans back, um, but we're going to do so when it's when it's the right time 
uh, and it's it's safe to do so. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here and, and, you know, they're about to restart the, you know, NHL season, Major League Baseball, NBA. What, what advice would you give those organizations from the things that you've learned in the past uh, couple of months? Well, the reality is, is that we actually talk quite a bit. We've been talking since before uh, the PGA Tour season uh, even started up again. We've, we've been, it's been really collaborative uh, amongst all the professional sports leagues, um, both at my level and also uh, with the commissioners getting together um, occasionally and sharing notes. Uh, so, you know, we're all in this together. We knew during the quarantine period that, um, that sports could really be helpful uh, to the American psyche, to people who were stuck at home and, uh, you know, didn't have anything to be necessarily optimistic about. Um, we all saw that as a challenge and, uh, and a mission to get, to get sports back out there for, for everybody. Uh, so it was, you know, it was from that that, that we were collaborating uh, so closely and, and sharing notes. And I've been giving, giving tidbits uh, of information as we learn them to, to my counterparts at the other leagues, um, you know, since we've begun. Uh, and even had the opportunity to host, uh, host the NHL at one of our uh, early events so that they could see our operation in action. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that all of that collaboration has been really helpful to them. At the same yeah. time, they all have, they all have different challenges than we do. Um, sure. You know, they can't keep that separation, that physical distance, which is so important. Uh, they can't do that in, in many of those sports. And so they've got their own unique challenges that they have to deal with. And, um, you know, I, as a sports fan, I, I really am excited uh, to to see that they will be many of them will be coming back soon. It's interesting how sports, you know, kind of helps heal and kind of brings back like a sense of normalcy after you know whether it's nine eleven or you know during this COVID pandemic. That's for sure. Um, you know when you're when you're when you're stuck at home. And uh, you can't even go outside, and you've got reruns of of old sporting events on, and <laughs> uh, reruns of old movies on. It's just it's uh, you know it gets to be like Groundhog's Day. But if you had live sports, uh, you know that certainly gives people something to engage in. And, um, you know we're we're really we're really fortunate that we've been able to be back now for seven weeks and hopefully people have been, have enjoyed watching golf. Maybe even some people who, who weren't watching before. Well, I know I have, that's for sure. And so all of us looking from the outside, I mean, we can only imagine the enormous undertaking it is to keep everyone healthy and safe. And like you mentioned on the PGA tour, corn Ferry tour, PGA tour champions, even the international tours, but from everything we've seen, everything we've heard, you all are doing just an outstanding job at this point and certainly should be commended for your efforts. Well, thanks. And a lot of the credit certainly goes to, uh, you know, our constituents, our players and caddies who have really bought into to the program that we put forward 
they're each dedicated to their individual responsibilities to make the program work. And without that, it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work. We would be shut down again. So their commitment to, to all of this, to all of the changes that they have to make on their daily routines, uh, that commitment has really been um, the greatest success we've had. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking with Andy Levinson. He's the Senior Vice President of Tournament Administration at the PGA Tour. And Andy, thank you for providing some incredible insights into everything that's gone on at the Tour to uh, to get PGA Tour golf back. Uh, we wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season. And I really look forward to catching up with you maybe after the Tour Championship as the the new season kicks off. Thanks, Tim. I enjoyed it. That was Andy Levinson, Senior Vice President of Tournament Administration at the PGA Tour. And this is it for the special edition of On the Green Podcast. Thank you all for joining us. I'm your host, Tim Eiley. And until next time, try to keep it in the short grass.